Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Consider it pushed. The magic button has been pushed. Uh, welcome to the film board, everybody. We have gathered the uh, uh, most of the usual gang of thugs uh, to talk about The Hobbit, an unexpected something mm-hmm. uh, in today's film board. I am Pete Wright. We've got Andy Nelson. Howdy do. We've got Steve Sarmento. Good afternoon. And Chad Stoops, who is hopefully eating. <laughs> I can't. I can't reach my sandwich right Chad. now. <laughs> uh okay so so this uh this film this uh the hobbit this uh, wildly anticipated hobbit uh offered in five count them five visual formats in theaters uh likely not near you for most of them uh what how do we how do we want to start this uh this shindig who who wants to kick it off who okay, saw it I, who saw it how i i would be very interested yeah, yeah let's let's do that okay. Yeah. Can I can I just start off uh, yeah. really quick, Pete? Just really yeah. quick. I, I promise, two seconds here. But just a shout out to all the families in Connecticut uh, because it was such a sad thing. I heard that like two days ago, and I know I didn't mean to bring down the damp. We were all like living up, but it just hit me. I was like, man, just all those families that are suffering right now with their kids and uh, the loss over there. So I just wanted to say that you know, in our thoughts and prayers, if you are listening all the way over there in Connecticut, if not, and you know someone over there. Just uh, yeah. wanted you know that it was a sad event. It was it was a sad event, and uh, yeah, yeah, 
our thoughts and family are, are with the families yeah. and the, the the teachers. Oh my God. The yes. Uh, yeah. And we just okay. talked about it recently. Yeah. I was just teasing a little bit. Anyway. All right. I had to get that off my chest, but cool. Anyway, go on, right. go on, Pete. Go no, on. no, no. I now I'm now. Uh, so, uh, you know how how did we actually see this uh, this film? To Steve's. How did you guys see? It? Did you guys still see it like proper forty eight frames per second in the three D? I, I saw it three D HFR, which was um, the non IMAX, non two D uh, version. <laughs> so okay, so just to just to to re- so so going up from there, we have two D, uh, which is two D twenty four frames per second right yeah. uh right. up from there we have uh 3d real 3d which is 24 frames per second in the in the the branded real 3d 3d version uh up from there we have hfr 3d non-imax right right uh, and then we have imax 3d what did i miss i missed one that's only four did, did you do IMAX HFR? IMAX. Okay, that's right. So there's IMAX 3D and IMAX HFR 3D. And what's All the right. difference between that? Is that, the 40, is that the 40? HFR is 48 frames per second. If it's not HFR, it's the regular 24 frames per second, which is what we're all normally watching in the okay. movie theater. Maybe that's how I saw it. I don't know. Did you did I, you I see it in 3D? I did see it in 3D. Okay, so you saw it in 3D, but did you do you remember the real D 3D or uh, was it a different? Did you go to an IMAX? I thought so. If it was in real D 3D, then it probably was just regular 3D. Right, right. Just, well, okay. you okay. would know if you were seeing it in an IMAX because it's in an IMAX theater. It's oh, a big okay. high seat. Okay, so the only way you can see it is what you're saying. The only way you can see it in the 40 frames per second is this IMAX. No, oh, dear. no, Chad, you're not listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, we just went through five of them. We okay? did. We went through five of them. That that is true. And you're that's, not listening. Now, now that's uh, that is actually sort of underscores the biggest frustration I think about seeing this film. The the way Peter Jackson sort of intended it, it was shot uh, and and intended to be released in IMAX HFR 3D. That's kind of the premier uh, viewing experience. And uh, anything less than that is, uh, it, you know, it's it doesn't fit hashtag Peter Jackson's ego. Uh, just just because you said that, I'm going to go and watch all the formats. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wiener. And all right. Fifteen hours later. <laughs> so, so Chad, I'm going to assume you saw that in in the real 3D 3D. I think that's all what right. I saw. It. But right. however, I do want to mention the way I saw it was probably not how you guys saw it. <laughs> and I'll, the reason why I want to say this. Is I walked in there first of all by myself, and uh, I had a huge thing of popcorn and, and a coke to last me the night. But I went in there, and it felt like I was watching it on an airplane, first class, going to Japan because we were in leather seats that reclined back and put your feet up. Oh. I'm not kidding. It so was you, awesome. Oh. Your feet, my feet were up. Everybody had their feet up. You had this like, and there were like brand new leather seats. You could smell the leather in the air. I, I hear actually Steve saw it that way, but actually people were there to rub his feet. So did you get that? <laughs> oh, jeez. Come on. Really, no? Steve? No. You gotta add, you gotta <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Back on track. Back on track. So anyway, it was it was amazing. Chad had the best I, seats of all of us, likely. And yes. probably the right. best dream in the middle of it when I could get <laughs> you fall so asleep. <laughs> took a little nap. All right. Know. Steve, how did you see it? I saw it in the 3D HFR in a theater with very sticky floors. All right, nice. excellent. So Steve had the worst floors. Andy, yes. you and you and Mike saw it uh, how? We saw Same 3D thing? HFR, and right. it was a pretty clean theater, but we didn't get to recline. All right, and I saw I saw it the uh, the IMAX HFR <clears throat> 3D. Okay. And now, what'd you get? I got. What do you mean? I saw IMAX HFR 3D. I saw the the premiere. Remember, this was the one where there are only 19 theaters in the country. I don't know what Portland, Oregon, is doing with a with a theater like this, but we have one, and I saw it. I took my. Yeah, but what, did you get any goodies? Did you get like something delivered to you? Pizza? Anything at your theater? No, I got a nosebleed because the seats were so high. But uh, otherwise, oh. otherwise it was good. No, it was fine. I it was fine. Now, what what is your what's your overall impression? Now, I, so we had nobody who saw the movie in 2D, and that's the well, thing I'm most interested yeah. in. I feel like I need a palate cleanser. What's your impression of the of the film as after, you saw it? After seeing the HFR uh, 3D, I really want to go watch it in 2D because I I was so distracted by the the um, fast motion silent film look that was going on with 48 frames per second. I had a really hard time adjusting to the film, and once I finally adjusted. All of a sudden, something would happen again, where it was like watching uh, you know, Mac Senate waddling down the street really fast. Yeah, and it was it was really difficult for me. So I I want to go see it in two D just to kind of 
really watch it and actually just pay attention to the movie. That that was my my impression too. And you know, you, did you have the same experience where like it'd be cranking along just fine? Like you you'd see people who were like characters would be talking to each other and everything would be fine. And and it's almost if as soon as some sort of CG element was introduced, it got all fast and wonky. Like it, it's it, as soon as something was not real on the screen, which was a lot of the film, it just got crazy. I noticed it all the time, like right from the first shot when I saw Bilbo walking down the hall, it looked like Charlie Chaplin, like he was walking so fast. And and when he dipped his pen in his ink, it was super speed. I I, I felt like I was watching the movie on crack. Yeah, like it really hard time to me. It was like it kept speeding up and slowing down to me like I just couldn't perceive it at normal speed. It's like he would write real fast and then he would slow down and write real slow. Maybe my eyes are really bad. I didn't know. I didn't have that much trouble adjusting to it. it. In the scenes that would be outside under natural sunlight, things looked, you know, a little, a little different. But to me, it looks like, and I don't have a Blu-ray player. So when I see things like I'm in Costco and I see they've got like Brave on the Blu-ray, it has that sort of hyper real, you know, video-ish quality to it. And there were just a few scenes where it, it, I sort of had to step back for a second because in the natural lighting there some of the whites look kind of brighter and things just sort of looked a little bit different but it wasn't anything that took me out of it that much and in any of the scenes that were indoors and the candlelight or whatever it didn't really bother me that much i'd say the first 20 minutes it took a little while for me to get used to it back and forth but it wasn't anything that was jarring or disturbing to me and the the cgi didn't really stand out to me as either either Harkins lied to me and I didn't see the the HFR frame rate, or maybe there's an issue in how the projectionists are setting this up because for me, it wasn't uh, that disturbing in the the friend that I went and saw it with. We, neither of us had uh, any issues with the the visuals on this one. Well, and I, and I, um, I saw it at Harkins as well. And so it could be just the different theaters. And, and I've heard that from people. Some people are really having a hard time with the, with the fast motion and some people seem to adapt to it really well. And and you're right. Maybe there is um, a trouble with this technology where people are like the, the projectionists are really having to get the system figured out. I, I don't know what it is. I just had a really hard time watching it. I, I would. I, that was uh, going to be my comment as well, Andy, it, it, that it feels like. Uh, at least f- in my experience, the color grading was terrible throughout. I mean, it was horrific. From one scene to the next was just terrible. The completely blown out uh, highlights in the in the uh, in the outdoor scenes, and you know, nearly impossible to watch in the darks. I mean, it was just terrible. On top of you know, here it is. This is I. I took my daughter, ten year old daughter. I think her review probably is the most salient for me. That I mean, this is a girl who loves fantasy science fiction she loves it she's she loves getting scared she loves not kind of getting excited about this kind of stuff she's you know we're reading lord of the rings we read the hobbit she's seen all the you know we we watch probably way too much stuff that that i shouldn't show her but i do and she loves it and she turns to me at the end of this movie and i ask her you know was it too scary she says no why did everything look so fake and terrible yeah. Right. Like this is a girl who should be completely sold by these characters, by the Goblin King, by the thing. And she said it looked like watching a video game. And that was exactly my impression. It looked like watching the Assassin's Creed trailer in HD. I mean, it was it. There was nothing like they they made it so clear and so crisp that it actually removes this layer of perceptive trickery uh, that that actually reminds you this is actually a movie. Right. Well, and that's something that I read how um, people had said this, this, I I don't know if it's the way they light it to capture the 48 frames per second or if they even have to light it differently. But what we end up seeing is something that almost has much more of a kind of a masterpiece theater, almost almost like the set is a little overlit and it just all kind of looks like a set sort of feel to it all the way through. It it looked like a BBC. That's what it looked like to me is a BBC HD like Sherlock. Yeah. Hmm. Well, can I mention how perfect my viewing was? Yeah, <laughs> please do. No, you know, I'm so you saw the 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 real three D experience was amazing. 20, you 24 it, frames. Yeah. You yeah. Did, you saw it regular twenty four. Yeah. So, what did you think of it? You actually probably got I, to know, enjoy I, the movie. I, I did. I don't. None of these things are coming up for me. <laughs> so sorry for you guys. <laughs> wow. You paid extra money for that, didn't you? I'm sorry. <laughs> that is the truth. I feel totally wow. taken. So what did you th- what did you think of it? How did it look? Uh, amazing. 
I thought it was incredible. I think you guys should go and see it again at a slower speed. I didn't, I, I didn't get to see, uh, I mean, like what you guys saw. My roommate actually went and saw that one. I had a free ticket to go to uh, a, th- a certain theater. And so I thought I was going to go see it like that. And when I was watching, I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is it. It seems like any other movie. But um, it was great. I really enjoyed it. It was, um, I mean, I don't know if we're, are you guys still on the topic? I didn't want to, like, move topics before we were done. You want to well, you want to you want to talk substance expunging. Now, well, yeah. I, well, expunging. Are we done expunging? I'm I not. I, I can just say that it was clear and fun and uh, it was watcher friendly for me. Uh, wasn't at all like the things you're talking about, like the speeding up and slowing down. It wasn't anything like that. If if in anything, I thought it was weird with some of the CGI. That was about it. Like they they did a, a scene which I don't know if you guys how it was in your theater for this if you guys noticed, but like it just seemed like sometimes it seemed a little painty. Like when the the elves came in and didn't help out. Remember when they came in and didn't help out? Yeah, at the remember beginning. the beginning. Right, right, right. Yeah, and they're all standing there. And it, I thought those were real people, but then I wasn't sure. It looked a little painty. It looked a little avatar-y to me. And certain yeah. parts of it, it, it stood out, stood out like that to me. It just uh, was too something. But most, I mean, for the most part, it wasn't what you're saying. I, I'd recommend for you guys and for anybody listening to actually see it as well in you know regular. 3D. Um, that was really fun to watch. I felt. Andy, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just really curious to see kind of how the general public ends up reacting. Like, I'm curious to see a month from now or two months to, from now, kind of what the the. Um, I don't know how they're going to track it. Hopefully, they're tracking it according to all five types to see where the money is really being spent. Because I'm curious to see how this HFR is going to take off. I mean, James Cameron saw this movie and he's already coming out saying how much he loves HFR and he's going to do all of his other Avatar movies in HFR now. Oh dear. So I, I'm very curious um, where this is going to go because after watching this, I feel, I, unless I read some reviews where people are saying, wow, they had really messed it up during the first Hobbit movie and now after seeing this, it's really much better. I may give it another try, but honestly, at this point, I'm just I, I'm almost just going back to 24 frames per second with everything from now on. Well, and that's a that's an interesting point and, and kind of my perspective, too. Like I, I'm I'll give the next HFR film a shot uh, just because that's sort of who we are. And, and I kind yeah. of I take part in the spectacle, but I certainly am not recommending it to friends and family because you know for for most of the people I truck with there is uh, they're not interested in the technology they're interested in the the story of the film and I think in in at least in my viewing experience the number of times I had to take off those glasses just to rest because there was it, it was so you know and just kind of close my eyes and listen because it was it, it was um, it, it was so bad in so many places. Uh, like it just, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't, I didn't enjoy the viewing experience. I think that got a, got in the way of, of the film for me. It certainly got in the way of the okay, film. Okay, okay, Pete. So here's here's a quote from a reviewer. He says, and I quote, and it's um, from a guy named Ricky. I'm reading this right now. He says, uh, one of the one of the main reasons Peter Jackson chose to film in the high resolution 40 frames per second is because it is easier on the human eye. When it comes to 3D, and yes, this was true. I didn't get nauseated even up close to the screen where I was. I guess he was sitting like three three rows to the front. Um, but he said that it was easier. Now, did you feel like, could you see how that would be possible for someone to think that way? Or was it just that you felt like it was your theater in particular or i i don't know about it i i don't know about my theater i mean this is the the sort of premier theater in the in in uh uh in okay. portland and so i've and a... i've seen a bunch of other films on this i mean i've saw i saw the premiere of dark knight i saw you know i've seen a lot of films uh in this uh screen and so i i have no reason to believe that that it was there was something wrong with the theater maybe something wrong with the projection uh, like uh, like andy said i mean there's there's something about this being the learning curve for distributors too like figuring out how to appropriately tune the theater for for hfr um, and I know, you know, sort of HFR IMAX introduces uh, additional complexity. Um, so right. I, you know, I certainly think that's, that's true, but the, the real question is, do we need it? And I, I, you know, there's nothing really special about 24 frames per second. Uh, uh you know, I, I don't know, Andy, you probably know more about why we sort of, you know, landed on 24p, but, uh, it, I, I always thought it was something about the, the speed of the film, uh, that would actually take sound. 
uh, back in the uh, back in the in the days of the early talkies. Is that right? Do you know something sure. like that? <laughs> so, so I, I, I mean, haven't we... looked it up recently, but yeah, that sounds about right. Andy, go look it up. <laughs> there's nothing. I, so you know, there's nothing particularly exciting yeah, about 24p other than that we've we've landed there, sort of. I mean, you know, we've got there, yeah. and there's that certain expectation. So I, to me, at least in the duration, this is what Peter Jackson said early, early on when they did that first Comic Con launch, and everybody said this is a piece piece of junk. Uh, that first launch, he said, people will get used to it. And right. you know what? I I couldn't. I I couldn't get used to it, and it made me really want to see the movie again in 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 a format that I I realized I could just. And and I'm actually, I, I you know there are a few movies that I really want to see in 3D, um uh, too. You know, and I uh, this one was, you know, he's already come out and and started talking uh, talking up uh, a re-release of the Lord of the Rings trilogy special edition in 3D Blu-ray. And I'm Is not I'm not terribly about, in, uh, about the original Bilbo. Then you're going to remove Ian Holm and. Uh... Yeah, right. The, uh, the, you know, right. Do, do a George Lucas and say, right. "Oh, remember that Bilbo that we had in the early one? No, no, we're going to replace him. Get Ian Holm out of there. We'll put the old Bilbo back in." Well, and he's always said how how awesome. disappointed he was with how Gollum looked in the first film because they hadn't quite finished him. So that's another perfect example for him to go back in and and replace the Gollum. Yeah. Well, and okay, so we should start talking about the film itself because I, I, you know, I, I know we all have opinions on that. Technology, we're we're kind of a mixed boat, but I'm I'm gonna. I, I don't know. I feel like like you guys. I need to see it again and uh, sort of withhold judgment on some of these things. Yeah. So what do we think? What do we think of the movie? Well, who's who's read the book? I did. I, I've Here. read the book. Oh Here. yeah, I've read the book. Okay, it's been a while, but I've read it. Yeah. Okay, so we've all read the book. I felt they captured the uh, the world very well, along with the less serious tones that the Lord of the Rings trilogy had, and it definitely had more of that. Uh, I, I don't want to call it a childish sense that The Hobbit, the book, had, but it was definitely more, uh, it had kind of a more youthful spirit, I guess. It just felt like a less serious book. And the movie Say felt it. less less serious than the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy did. Say it, Andy. You know what? I think you're going to say it. Maybe you're not. Maybe I was the only person that felt this way, but it felt a lot like Time Bandits in some parts. <laughs> Except they weren't going through time, but I just, I was like that, that all these dwarves and they got a map and they're fun to watch. That's what this is. This is actually a remake of Time Bandit. Nobody saw that coming. I was really waiting for you to say that, Andy. I, I, I completely forgot that you had mentioned that to me. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, actually. So I guess I didn't feel it really. Oh, you didn't feel it deeply? I guess didn't. No. Wow. Well, see right. it in regular 24 frames and you'll see. <laughs> then, I'll, then I'll see. Oh, I get it now. We'll jump out at you. <laughs> well, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with Andy. I think the issue is that it's because there's far fewer human characters and we don't have this large, overwhelming sense of dread that of the evil that's sort of surrounded the land that it's like the end of the world stakes in Lord of the Ring, whereas this is just we're going on a fun adventure and we encounter these, you know, these great characters we've got these trolls we've got the goblin king we've got these really fantastical creatures and when you look at lord of the rings it's you've got a lot of humans doing things the the creatures they encounter like the cave troll they're they're not really engaged in dialogue it's just kill or be killed whereas this was sort of a, a fun adventure and there's interactions with these different creatures and to me it was that fun you know that what i remember reading the hobbit of wow this is this fun adventure and these wacky things happen and these interesting creatures and and that's what i got out of it i was really excited to see it had that somewhat lighter tone and i think that part of that is because the world that it's set in isn't dealing with you know this ultimate evil set out to annihilate everything it's well yeah the dwarves are going on this adventure and you know but we can have fun with that yeah I, I had a lot of fun with the movie, and, and you do have to kind of just not take it as seriously, I guess. But it was, uh, mm. it was light. The characters were enjoyable. Um, I was intrigued by all the additions to it, and I, I can't 100% clarify which ones were additions and which ones I had just forgotten from the book. But uh, on the whole, I, I, I found it an enjoyable experience. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I really enjoyed the juxtaposition between uh, Martin Freeman's character, Bilbo, and everybody else because he was, <laughs> it was so great that he was this very kind of 
you know, humble little hobbit guy. And even when he went on the adventures, it wasn't, you know, like, I guess that point that, that stands out to me was or a couple points when everybody was really dramatically like, oh, you know, you he can't do anything. And oh, he can't do this or or yes, you save the day. And he's like, no, you know, I'm not a hero. And it just took us out of it for a minute to see his way, his world. And it was totally different. And I thought that was great because it's not so it, it took that, um, you know, it's the temptation to have the Hollywood feel to it. Like, oh, yes, this, you know, insignificant character can be the hero. And he was. But it was great to see him really us really drawn into how he felt about it, which is like, no, I'm not. I'm just a hobbit who just wants to help you guys have homes. And I thought that was really kind of cool. So that was his point of view was totally different from these other characters. And I, I don't know if I remember getting that necessarily from The Hobbit. Now it's all kind of sort of coming back to me. But that was one of the things I really enjoyed about it was that kind of like, uh, you know, two different worlds coming together like that. And, and still maintaining the integrity of that throughout the film. I thought that was excellent. Wow, I feel I feel totally alone. <laughs> oh, I do. I feel totally alone. I okay. So, uh, as it happens, uh, you know, when I saw the movie on on Friday, that day was read in your pajamas day at my kid's school, and so I I go every year and I I read the book of the uh, you know the the book of whatever to my daughter's class, and and I you know because we're celebrating the Hobbit launch, I uh, release, I read the Hobbit, and and we got through the first couple chapters, and it was you know I. I hadn't read it in probably a year and a half, two years. And I just, it, it brought me back to this sort of sweetness that is The Hobbit, this sweet sort of gentleness that that is The Hobbit. And when you guys say it's lighter than Lord of the Rings, I mean, it certainly is. It's much lighter. It was, it was written first, told first as a bedtime story. It just has that sort of, uh, that sort of gentle approach to uh, the, the arc of the tale and of introducing Bilbo and of, of, of kind of the ring, which has no additional weight to it other than it is... Uh, it makes him invisible, which is great, and right, right. that's the tool of the thing. And and so going into this, I, I mean, I remember being really excited when I heard Peter Jackson was going to come back and do The Hobbit, and then he said, "You know what? We're going to do it in two movies." And I thought, "Oh, this is not. This doesn't bode well." And when he came out and said three movies, I thought, "Okay, this is all." Uh, this this is all ego. I'm just not as excited about this. I don't know. This this movie is way too sort of intimate to make three gigantic films out of it. And and I, I feel like I uh, sort of have proven myself right in seeing this movie. I feel like he has injected Lord of the Rings darkness into this film and forced this sort of um, heavy-handed weight to it in order to somehow match this universe that he has created. When J.R.R. Tolkien really did enough to create this universe himself. I feel like it was mm -hmm. it was incredibly clumsy getting into it having the con the conversation with old Bilbo and Gan and uh, you know and Frodo at the beginning I thought was just ridiculous and and when when you know we we already have that like we already got that in the book the material was already there and mm -hmm. um, and so I was well, and, I found, and in the first film and in the right. and in the first film exactly right, like yeah. it was just it was just plain clumsy uh, it, to me, I, I had a real hard time uh, getting into it. The uh, and and the just sort of force feeding us that the LOTR universe uh, was uh, I, I think overwrought. The movie was way too long. It was no, crazy no, too long. No, it was no, way too long. It was way too long. Way too long. It was insultingly too long. I I was so bored during pieces of and i love movies and and man when they got to rivendell i thought i was gonna have to rip my eyes out this is this was too long by 50 minutes uh and uh and i i think uh i i think it does so again at a disrespect to the original material i think he just really is sucking the the spirit out of the book out of the hobbit and the the hobbit is a tough book to suck the spirit out of because it's a book that is cherished by a lot of people and i think he's trying to jam this like i said he's trying to jam it into this universe that he's created and and uh with lord of the rings and i just don't think it fits uh, I'll, I'll give you i'll give you rivendell i mean you know seeing christopher lee is you know saruman again was you know, I was excited by that. Was it necessary? No. And I, I agree. He's trying to sort of give you the global sort of context of, you know, this is the story that's sort of leading up to the rise of Sauron and everything. And it's this sort of, you know, giving it all those 
you know, connections that, yes, aren't there in the novel. Rivendell, not necessary, sure, but it, it added something to it. I, I thought there were some of the other pieces that sort of expanded it, gave it a little bit of depth. I mean, for me, it was sort of like, seeing the theatrical release of Lord of the Rings and then the expanded edition where there's a little bit more story. There's a little bit more scope to the universe and that he, he just started with that. He started with the broader scope to the story and there's some pieces that maybe I could do without, but for me, it didn't become a distraction. It didn't affect pacing so much that I found myself bored or just like, come on, come on, let's go with it. I was just, I let myself get lost in the story and let him take me on the journey with him. And I had a great time. And I, I did too. And and Pete, to your point, um, actually to both of your points, I, I really did have a good time. I can totally see where you're coming from, though, Pete, because I did feel, I could feel it. I was like, wow, this has a lot of stuff in it that doesn't seem to pertain to the Hobbit story quite so much. But I did find it really interesting. But I wonder, I find myself wondering if 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 Peter Jackson and the distributors would have been better served if they did make a shorter version that was maybe two hours instead of three hours. And then this three hour version was the extended edition that he ends up releasing on, on uh, DVD down the road so that everybody can still have, they can kind of pick and choose. Well, I just definitely prefer this shorter version or they can say, Oh, I really like that extra, the, the filling out of it a little bit. I think I'll, I'll pick up the three hour version. They're going to shorten it for DVD release, so... I, I certainly hope that he doesn't make a four-hour version for DVD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and no. suddenly we end up with The Hobbit, this intimate yeah. little 300-page book, being a 12-hour epic film. As he tries to fit every one of the appendices and the Silmarillion. Exactly. And, you know, the script of this, I have to imagine when he handed the script to these people, he said, here's the book, just read it, and we'll film you just reading every single word. <laughs> That's the like. I just well, felt like this. The the uh, like it just got lost in adaptation. Well, there's stuff in there, right, Pete? That I mean, I I for, here from my understand is that that where it wasn't in the book, and so it was stuff that was sort of like what he wanted to put in the, you know, the Lord of the Rings, but didn't get to. Well, yeah, and I you know I you, Andy brought up the Silmarillion. If you if you haven't uh, tried to digest some of the Silmarillion, it was it it was um, you know Tolkien's sort of journal uh, about the universe, and it was released as a book, and it's a horrible uh, material. If you if you want to enjoy the story, then wow, don't ever read that um, because talk about looking you know in the sausage factory uh, but it, it is interesting uh, just how much material um, sort of gets used as as research and, and uh, sort of inf informs the, the hobbit it makes it a much more complex tale uh, yeah. that we have particularly that we have to look forward to uh, in in the second and now third film part of the thing that's so frustrating is i feel like oh man why do we tune into the hobbit the Hobbit is this story about the dwarves getting the gold back from a dragon. And what do we see of the dragon? Like, I, I feel like I was this, this, you know, stretching this out to three movies is, is sort of betrays the, like, I'm not excited. I'm not, you know, anxious and like I've been teased by the dragon. I feel betrayed that I didn't, I don't have enough of the story. I don't know enough about what it's about. It's a, it, it is a similar feeling, I think, to when, when the, um, I can't remember the end of the first or the second Lord of the Rings, where it just feels like it stops in the middle of a sentence. Yeah. Well, you know. here's here's the thing that I I think because and again I haven't read The Hobbit in quite some time, but my recollection of it is you have the dwarves and and Bilbo going on this adventure to get the gold back and get the their dwarf palace back from the dragon. But that all comes to resolution two-thirds of the way through the story. Right. And then you have this big war between, like, the five races or whatever. Right. And for me, when I read that book and when I saw the animated version, I always kind of felt like, well, what is this whole thing? How does this tie in? And so this is what I'm thinking is that Peter Jackson is finding a way by bringing some of these appendices um, into the story and some tales from the Silmarillion and all that, so that by the time we get to that War of the Five Races in the third film, it actually feels like there's more context to it. You have the story of this little hobbit going on this journey to help the dwarves get their home back, but in the process ends up getting tied into this massive war of the five races. And I think that what's going to happen is it's going to end up tying together in a much stronger way. That's probably you're probably right. Well, I think I, it, yeah, I well, hope here, so. Think of it. Think of it like this, though. Also, I mean, it's it's you're seeing a movie that, uh, and this is this is not to say this is what he should have done, but I'm just saying that 
we have all seen three huge movies that when you buy them on DVDs, they're even huger. And so, you know, you know, everybody's kind of, ex, you know, they're going, they're paying to see something like that. Now, whether he did it justice or not, we'll have to, I think kind of like Andy, it's, it's, I think you're going to have to watch all three to see if the first one um, was worth it. Because it, it is kind of, I know what you're saying. I mean, when, there were times I was sitting there going, hmm, I don't know if this is completely worth it. My thing was watching the characters. I thought that the, like I said, I thought uh, that they picked, I think they picked the perfect Bilbo. I think he did, he does it justice. I think, um, you know, he, he, he encapsulizes this guy that I would, I, I'm curious to see what happens with him because I really got a good feeling of who he was as this this guy, you know, this hobbit of who he was. Now, the, and the other characters, they're kind of fun to watch too. I did, I honestly felt like I was watching Time Bandits, but I love Time Bandits. And so when I was watching, I thought these were a bunch of funny little dwarves going on their journey. I can't quite remember the hobbit enough to be able to go, you know, this is the part. And I, I do vaguely remember the gold and the dragon, but, um, but, you know, I think, you know, we could have seen a shorter version but if we had seen a shorter version and he's trying to establish this, you know, one, play favors with the people that have already seen these three huge movies and wanting to go into this world deeper. He's trying to I think he's trying to go, you know, he's trying to edify those people. But then at the same time, I think if he is setting it up, then this this was good to make it like that. So you're kind of getting a broader. And there's not so much going on. It's mostly these broad things of these characters like. You know, is it Saruman? Who's, who's the guy? The Saruman. Sauron or Saruman? Saruman Sar- is the white wizard. Sauron is the... Sauron. Sauron. Okay, Sauron's the guy that's going to be... Well, I'm not going to say anything, right? If you haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, he's the guy that's... <laughs> that, that was spoiled years ago. Well, and I, I would... Well, I sh- read the book. I don't know. I should I add, one of, our, one of our, uh, our, our comrades who is... We've tried to get on every single episode of the film board, but he can never seem to make it, is uh, Tom Metz. He's a filmmaker in L.A. And, and he actually sent a, a copious, uh, nay, a, and a binder of his notes from seeing this movie for us to refer to. And I think Chad brings up a great point. Uh, and and I think Tom's mad when he writes this. And uh, Tolkien can go beep himself. As I described above, I'm not a fantasy guy and I have trouble attaching names to people, things, monsters, and fantasy situations. That being said, why does Tolkien hate me so much? <laughs> it's all fake nonsense, so he can use any made-up name he can think of. Instead, in the Lord of the Rings series, he has two big bad guys named, and I don't know how to spell any of these, Sauron and Saruman. What? So alike. How am I supposed to tell them apart? That's like name two, naming two characters Fred and P-H-R-E-A. D Fred, <laughs> it's your world token. Go wild, uh, and I think that's. I, I think he's he's getting to an interesting point. He says I ran into some of the same trouble in the Hobbit, where uh, where there are characters named Thorn and Thern and Bing Bong and Fing Fong. <laughs> you know, I think this might be more of a statement on me than Tolkien. When <laughs> I think about it, uh, but but that is the point. I think he, we have a lot of people in this movie, a lot of characters in this film, and and um, it, particularly in the beginning. On top of it being for me an incredibly so start, uh, it is difficult to uh, orchestrate the number of bodies that they have trailing across the um, um, across this universe. I actually, you know, we we when talking about the the sort of casting and the structure of the of the people parts. I think there's a lot to, to really like about it. Uh, I, I think Martin Freeman makes a terrific Hobbit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy him a lot. Uh, you know, once you get past the clumsiness of the of his introduction in the beginning, uh, I just like him a lot. And I, maybe because he's he's earned a lot of sort of character credibility for me in other things that I that I'm a fan of him uh, in. Um, but but I think he did a great job. Um, uh, of course, Ian McKellen. Again, after the opening, I think he's he executes himself well. I like him a lot. Um, uh, what, where do you stand on on the uh, the main characters and the dwarves? Mm. I, I, I like all the characters. The uh, I like the principal characters: Gandalf, Gollum, uh, Bilbo, Thorin. Um, I, those characters I really enjoy. I do feel that the rest of the dwarves I have a hard time with. But, you know, that's kind of the nature of the situation with the dwarves. I mean, he has, it's a group of 13 of these these small bearded men. And trying to distinguish one from the other 
uh, apart from physically is is nigh impossible. And I think Peter Jackson tapped into that and and at least gave us great faces that we had an easy time distinguishing between. Yes, I really enjoyed that. Um, I do agree. This is another note that Tom sent is. Why is there that one? <laughs> just It's like, I thought it was kind of weird how all the dwarves had huge prosthetic noses and foreheads and chins, except for that one dwarf dude who was just totally normal looking and handsome. It's like he was late to set and they didn't have time to send him to makeup. So one by the one through the doors came crazy big nose and shorty, short baldy warts and crazily mustached double chin and Steve. <laughs> It's exactly right. That's exactly how it feels. There's handsome and the uglies. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I agree it, with it, him. It, yeah. It it that one thing that did take me out because you have you have Thorin who's, you know, relatively, you know, he looks human, but then it's it's the one with and I again keeping the name straight, it's Feely or Keely, the one with the with the bow and arrow, who yeah. who who did not seem like a dwarf. He it was like he was like the the half blood related from somebody's mom off on the head, something with the elves because he just didn't look like the rest of them. He's got a bow and arrow. And I'm like, Oh, we've got an archer in with the dwarves. We, uh, you know, it, it, he didn't, I was glad to see, you know, okay, they can take out these guys from a distance because if they got to go hand to hand, they're, they're screwed. They've got these big, you know, wargs coming out. It was neat, but I just didn't, he, maybe it's the scale issue as well, because looking hmm. at Lord of the Rings, you know, it's like dwarfs look short and stocky, and these guys will seem to be like relatively like human proportions because we don't have that sense of scale. Even compared to Gandalf, these guys seem like they're all like, with the exception of a couple dwarves on a Weight Watchers diet. They're not, they're relatively thin for what I imagine dwarves to be. That is well, until you get to the trailer. <laughs> Go ahead, Andy. I'm sorry. On, I was just going to say they have been wandering the wilderness for quite some time. <laughs> that's true that's true there is that was a, a an interesting point though too i i'll be interested to see how the 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 behind the scenes on this it seems like the scale issue was more apparent uh in the hobbit than uh than in the lord of the rings i felt like i was more bought into the uh the the relative scale of the hobbits to dwarves to elves to people or to humans uh in lord of the rings than here this felt like it, it you know it 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 felt like, you know, the the dwarves were one size when they were all together, and then they get to Rivendell, and there's sort of this this great kind of helicopter shot over the, uh, you know, Gandalf and Elrond and, and uh, Thorin, and, uh, you know, around the, you know, the ceremonial crystal. And suddenly, Thorin is about up to Gandalf's knee like he's just a he's like a model for trophies you know he's just really short and uh it, it's like it's out of scale it just doesn't it it doesn't work i don't uh, it, it's certainly not um the to the scale of uh uh what was his name in lord of the rings um gimli gimli the dwarf yeah yeah Wow. So, uh, so I, that, that was a, I, I think a challenge. That was another thing that, again, as you say, Steve, it, it took me out. Um, so I, I guess that's something I didn't really pay attention to too much because uh, for the vast majority of the time, almost everybody in the frame, except for Gandalf is essentially the same size. So I, I guess it just didn't, uh, it didn't phase me, um, the size issues because I, when they were, in shots together it seemed like they were different sizes and i guess i just wasn't paying attention to uh too closely but uh, i guess for me it worked you make me feel like a hypercritical jerk <laughs> <laughs> so uh to to your to your point again i'm gonna back off on my uh i still think this movie was terribly slow but you're you're absolutely right that this and i had, had not made this connection that the second movie is actually called uh the desolation of smog Right. So we do get smog in the second movie, and that means we get the uh, the wonderful Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm very excited about that. Well, and that's a character that I don't remember from the book at all. I was assuming that that was a uh, is that from the appendices, or was the character of the necromancer in the book? No, I'm talking about smog, the dragon. Benedict Cumberbatch is credited as the necromancer. Mm, don't think so. In the end that's credits. In the end credits, he's credited as Necromancer. Well, he, I think he's also the voice of Smog, my friends. Wow, yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. He will. Both. Yeah, uh, he will portray you... Smog the Dragon through voice and motion capture, and will also provide the motion capture for the Necromancer. 
Because oh, okay. yeah. I saw his name in the credits, and I was like, where was yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. in this? Yeah. Yeah, he's credited. So that's who he is in Star Trek. He's the necromancer from The Hobbit. Is the mystery character. Hey, you know, I should add, as I think, I don't think you guys got the uh, nine-minute Star Trek thing, did you? No, no, we did not. So we should talk about that too at the end. Just rub that in, why don't you? Yeah, no, 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 it's uh, you know, and and we see him as you know John Harrison in in Into Darkness. We we meet him, and I cannot wait. And let me tell you, as I felt, uh, you know, as as the Hobbit was wearing on me about uh, three quarters of the way through i was really regretting that i was not watching the rest of star trek it it looks really really good <laughs> wow uh, so okay but can right. we next, go ahead can we talk about gandalf and what a badass he is in this movie compared to lord <laughs> of the rings because that's that's the thing i remember from reading the hobbit when i was a kid it was like gandalf is this really cool he's sort of there and does a few things but here it's like there's more magic and he's lopping heads off with his sword and i was just like yeah, this is a tougher, more, you know, action-packed Gandalf than we have in Lord of the Rings. And I was I was glad to see that because that's how I remember him in The Hobbit is just this really cool dude. And and I was glad to see that show up in this film. And, and even to the point where I loved his little, uh, the final confrontation between him and the Goblin King, which, you know, it it had a great moment of, of badassness and comedy to it that, that worked for me, I thought. <laughs> I, I thought it was very funny. That 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 last Goblin King line, that'll do it. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was I, awesome. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. A, I, that was another thing. They added a lot of stuff in that movie that was sort of like I did golf. Didn't he say golf at one point? Well, that was yeah. in that was in the book. That was in, in the, the beginning. Book. They talked about golf. Yeah, he says, and and so was uh, invented the book uh, golf. I always yep. just thought that's crazy. I, I don't remember that being in there, but I, again, I don't remember much yeah. of that, but that's weird that they would have, I don't even know what time this takes place in. So it's weird to think of golf being there. Cause... Well, you know, remember the narrator in the book is is really, I mean, he's telling a story to, uh, it's a bedtime story that he is telling and he's sort of, and so that's why it's weird as soon as it was in, you know, it's, it's in, um, you know, some of those things in Gandalf's voice or in the character voices are a little bit funny. Um, uh, because okay. you kind of get the feeling like I, I know that I do that too when I tell stories to my kids that I'm not reading. So you just sort of make things up, and and that's how the catalytic converter was invented, you know. And it's like you know, yes. it sort of doesn't fit. So, right? Yeah. So it's so the Hobbit is really time bandits plus the princess plus the princess bride that's exactly what it is and at the very end uh, when we cut back to the old bilbo talking to frodo he he'll say as you wish (laughs) (laughs) as he walks out of the room (laughs) with his hairy feet how romantic brilliant all right so uh so i'm it's it's done uh so we we like it overall right oh we got to talk about Gollum. can we talk about Gollum? yeah we got to talk about brilliant and then I want to talk about one other character, yeah. All right. So Andy Serkis, uh, I think, is, is you know, as much as I think people talk about Andy Serkis, he's like the most under-recognized actor uh, oh, yeah. on, in, at work. I, I mean, I just think his, uh, I don't know, Chad, maybe you're, you're certainly more equipped to talk about Oh, my gosh. The guy was, he's, well, the amazing thing about Andy Serkis is he's, you know, when you talk about someone being like a triple threat, the guy is that times three. He's like, he's, the guy can do physically I mean, very rarely can you see somebody when they see a character doing something physically, you know, like he's becoming, he's an alcoholic. Usually they say, you know, like somebody who's portraying an alcoholic or someone who's drunk, you, you don't want to play alcohol. You don't want to play drunk. You want to play the person trying not to be drunk. And that's more, you know, it's the most effective drunk you, you'll ever see because, you know, anybody can be, be that. Andy Circus, in the same respect, he is beautiful. <clears throat> just, it's just, it's like watching a, an orchestra inside a man i mean he has fine-tuned not only did well i mean this character he has fine-tuned this character i mean even when you try to even people who try to imitate the character don't they know it's going to take a lot because you you can do the voice but you can do the actions you can do you know uh his intentions but can you do all those things at one time it's exhausting just to pretend to be him you can't well, pretend like it's it's a hard thing, and you know it's an it's an interesting thing that you bring up because I think this in this his portrayal of the character in this film, uh, you know, it, in so much in, in so much of a way that the Hobbit was sort of written and conceived before Lord of the Rings, uh, he actually has taken the character that he portrayed in in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and made it 
something even more. He sort of oh, spins man. off that kind of multiple personality disorder, and he spins off that sort of aggression, and he does it, and and, and that sort of emotional connection between the two sides of Gollum uh, in a way that I found really easy to make an emotional connection with. I think it was it was for me it was the strongest uh, sequence of the film, and and I from what I understand that was the the very first. Uh, the very first thing shot on this film was uh, the the uh, you know three four days shooting the cave scene between Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis. I think yeah, they did an just, incredible job. He needs to have a spinoff, just Gollum. The Adventures of Gollum. It's, it's an easy one to shoot, though. It's only one oh, set. Seriously. It's just Gollum a cave and a lake. <laughs> yeah, Gollum and a lake, or maybe go- goblins. Gollum goes to the big city. Why not? And then gets a job. <laughs> It, it can be like a, Crocodile Dundee too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he finds a woman and she's totally confused by him. Uh, you but you don't love me? He was he was so scary. I mean in this in this film. I love the way that he, you know, the others were kind of frightening but not as scary as he was in this one where he just you just didn't know what he would, you know, he was he couldn't handle it and really went to a uh, a deeper part where like now if I watch the other two, I'm like, wow, it, you know, you know, you really see his pain and his wow, like, you know, his weakness and his real struggle to the other. Now, I mean, if you go so watch the other ones, it, it, it actually, I think, will enhance it because you go, he's really trying not to have or go out of control. You know, th- what he what happens when he first gets his ring taken away from him? What you know, I mean, it's insanity. Right. He goes crazy. And it's just. That, oh, that that whole sequence, that what has he got in his pockets sequence mm-hmm. was just oh, fantastic. It's chilling. I, I actually had chills going up my spine watching it because when you when you actually do a character, you really are thinking about layers of them. I mean, this character is so it's not even you don't there's nothing there's very few things you can actually grasp to base it on. You can't, you know, it's it's based off of something that's in a mythological place in the beginning, but but to be able to also pull people in and, and kind of care for this guy. I mean, Andy. I, I mean, I, I. He should really be nominated. Well, add you to know, that I, that Circus was also the second unit director. Uh, was the second unit director on this um, on all three of these films. Yeah, uh, he's, oh, he he's really fantastic, and he. Uh, I mean, everybody's been been you know asking for him to get a nomination uh, when oh, yeah. Lies of the Planet of the Apes came out. Everybody felt, or I, sh- I don't know, everybody, but a lot, lot of people were calling that. Uh, for him to get a nomination for the amazing performance he did as Caesar. No, he didn't. Certain, certainly here, too. Uh, it's not quite a, a you know, I mean, maybe as a supporting character in this film, but I mean, he's he's so good at bringing these characters to life in this motion capture uh, uh, way. And I, I would say, yes, he definitely deserves it. Yeah. I mean, he's a leader in this field that's totally, it really is new in this way that he, I don't know very many people that, like, he is definitely the king of the motion capture he expresses himself in a way that very few actors can do in in any capacity. So it's just, yeah. I mean, you have to you have to just sit there and marvel at. It. I think anybody that hasn't seen it, that if you didn't enjoy the film, it's that part of the film that, oh, I mean, it's yeah. just it's just well. Uh, and I felt they captured uh, like they made him so real in this film. Like yeah. I I could have sworn that it was a uh, a really emaciated person acting on screen. It was it was so flawless yeah. which i find so strange because i felt uh changing the subject a little bit but i felt that the cg work that they did on azog the defiler was so bad i felt <laughs> every time i saw him he looked like just a cg creature surrounded by a bunch of fantastically made up people dressed as the rest of the orcs why could they not have dressed this guy up like like the great white orc or whatever, or the pale orc or whatever he's called? Uh, I, he was so hard for me to watch. I just uh, I was so surprised by that because they did such a good job with Gollum, and, and then this guy I just thought was just flawed every time I saw him. Andy, I am so glad to hear you say that. I feel like you and I finally. For the love of everything, we agree on something here. I thought that 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 was terrible. And, you know, this got me thinking to something we talked about uh, a year ago. 
which was uh, in related to writing. When you have, uh, when you f- you can tell as you're watching a movie the characters that the writer and the director loved, that they fell in love with, and and they have more fun with them, and they treat them with greater respect. Even the antagonist characters, the evil characters, you can feel like they're having fun with them. And I got that exact feeling watching this movie that they the that the uh, the the digital artists who and uh, you know who were working on Gollum really were in love with this character, and you could tell that they were treating it with just such great respect and and uh, I felt like they just they they just didn't really love the the uh, the great white orc I mean I think yeah. that they just kind of it was it was it was a weird kind of thing to throw away too because it's like at the same time they were trying to set up these sequences between as the sort of the big battle between the dwarves and the in, in this and the and the orcs in this sequence and it just it just yeah. fell flat yeah. yeah oh yeah what about Steve? Did he leave? He's usually quite no, I mean, vocal I'm, about this I, stuff. I, Come I'm on. I'm here. I'm just, I, I'm chalking that up to the fact that I think you guys, <laughs> the HFR put, put a little cloud there. Cause I didn't have, I, with, with his appearance and everything, I did not have issues. I agree that it's, I mean, he adding the storyline to give, you know, a little bit more urgency to the quest and give them some other obstacles. But as, in terms of a villain, it's not like, yeah, he just doesn't have that depth. It's like, okay, I lost my arm to Thorin. I'm going to go after him. And he's a really sort of flat villain that I'm just like, okay, he shows up when the story needs him to. And I I was a little disappointed that it wasn't there wasn't more to him. And maybe that's mm-hmm. that's going to be developing over time. But as far as just, you know, the CG work and everything, it didn't, again, it, I didn't have any visual issues with this. It's, it's more of the story. Because actually at that point, you know, they escape out of the caves and everything. And I'm like, okay, great. And then, oh, now the orcs show up on the hillside with them. I'm like, okay, it's it's going to be the cliffhanger. It's going to leave us saying, no, we're going to have a big, long scene. I thought, okay, well, I'll go with it. And, oh, okay, now we see a little bit more about, <laughs> you know, Bilbo, the courage shows up. I thought, okay, now now I've got something interesting. That's what this whole scene was about, to for, for Bilbo and Thorin to sort of, you know, deal with each other and this respect to develop and this understanding. I just you know, thought, eh, I could have done without that scene. I went along with it. It was a fun action scene. You know, the Eagles show up and okay. But again, everything with that orc, it's, I feel like it's still sort of tacked on story that just doesn't feel Mm. integrated in there as well as I would have liked. But again, I'm I'm being nitpicky because overall, I mean, I really did enjoy it. It's just one of those things where you're already probably at like two, two and a half hours or two hours or so. And it's like, really, we're going to throw in another big sequence, (laughs) you know? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah. You know the thing I, mean, I, I could. Was, I, was, I was I was more excited with the the rabbit sled chase, which you know <laughs> I, 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 uh, I mean I, it's just you know the whole you know circling around. I know. <laughs> I'm a wi- I'm one of five of the wisest creatures on the planet. No, he and eats my too many plan. <laughs> You know, my my favorite, I think maybe my favorite sequence was the uh, the last one at the end when Thorin looks at uh, at Bilbo and says, you know, just when I thought you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great, like, Harry uh, moment there. God, yeah. I just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I okay. Uh, so was that was it the white orc that you wanted to talk about, Andy? Was that the other character? On that your was list? the other character. No. Yeah, because I just I I mean I, it's an interesting character in the in the world of of this um, this universe that Tolkien created, and I just I I just don't understand why they would have made him look so um, less realistic than Gollum, who looked flawless to me. And it's it's just one of those things. I, I mean, I'm sure I'll get over it, but. In the, uh, are you sure <laughs> I, I don't know you're not gonna carry this one <laughs> i may i may <laughs> uh okay so uh final uh final thoughts who wants to one, uh, go ahead funny, andy this is just a funny note that um that it, it holds true for both the lord of the rings trilogy and this book and i know i feel like they answered it at some point in the books as i read them when they were talking about the great eagles uh, in the in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, somebody said, 
well, if they needed to drop this ring in the volcano, why didn't like at the very beginning, they just hop on the eagles and fly over the volcano and drop the ring in? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that probably would have made it a lot easier. And in this one, at the end, it's like the eagles drop them off on the top of this giant mountain all the way across the, the <laughs> valley from the mountain they're trying to get to. It's it would have like, taken them three minutes fly, to get there. Why to the other mountain? <laughs> and I feel like they explained at some point in the books, like why these great eagles don't like they kind of are there to help Gandalf in his time of need, yeah. but they don't really help people. I, I can't remember, but it's just really every, helpful. It's just like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're not really helping that much. You're not helping. You're not helping. You're not helping. <laughs> stay, <laughs> it's totally stay off my side. You just made it. You just put me on the top of a column of stone with no we stairs. <laughs> There's my house. We're passing my house. <laughs> all right. Stop helping. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. All right. So, uh, Chad, final final thoughts. My final thoughts. I think I agree with you, Pete, in some ways. I think it, it did seem a bit long. I think I honestly would wonder what I want to know what you think of it after you see it in regular vision, uh, 24 frames per second. I would love to talk to you then about that because I don't know. I think that might make it feel less long for you. I hope so. I'm going to see the yeah. smell around version of it. The, just watch out i hear those dwarves are pretty <laughs> i don't know there's so much to talk about this movie i mean there was that other wizard we really didn't get into but for a second with all the rabbits i mean that, and his yeah. yeah, that poop going down his face or whatever <laughs> because the bird he kept in his hat <laughs> there's a lot of things you can keep in your hat i don't know why he kept a bird that continuously crapped on his face and he didn't wash it off what kind of wizard is that do i want to get advice from him i don't know anyway um I liked uh, I liked I liked it. I think um, I, I like I'm curious to see what the other ones are. I think like you said, it's there's just it's it's not a whole lot of content. I'm hoping and banking on the fact that we're learning enough about these characters so that you know the next two movies it'll justify this this kind of stuff. But uh, I enjoyed it, and I think um, like I said, Andy Serkis did such a phenomenal job. I think that uh, Martin did a fantastic job who played Bilbo. Um, I think that. Uh, Gandalf was Gandalf, <laughs> but he was awesome. Like he was, yeah, he was just, he was just a better, he was like a healthier Gandalf, younger. Um, so it was just more fun to watch him, you know, have more, um, just, you know, you could see his power, you could see his strength. So I think it was, it's, it's a good movie to go see. I think you definitely have to be well rested to see it because you'll pass out. <laughs> Or your butt will, like, yeah, develop a tumor. It's a big three hours. <laughs> Unless you're sitting in fine leather reclining chairs, apparently. <laughs> That's right. That's right. With Hobbit massage therapists. Steve, <laughs> Steve, uh, final thoughts? Uh, well, I, you know, as soon as I walked out of the theater, I sent a text off to my brother and said I would do that again. Because uh, it, it's something that I, I enjoyed. I, I went in. I, I set my mindset, I think, in the right place of I'm just here to have fun and enjoy an adventure. And, and I did. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to see where the where the journey goes in the, in the next three. But uh, oh, I'm I'm chalking this up as a solid, I think, you know, three and a half star film. It's not it's far from perfect. But like any of the flaws you, you are easy to uh, just take with a little bit of, uh, I don't know, fun in the spirit of what, where the film is going. All right. I, you know, I, I feel, uh, I feel a little bit like I'm, uh, I am the hypercritical jerk. I'll be the hypercritical jerk. I'm going to go see this movie again. I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and like it more. Uh, and, uh, I'm going to see put, it in straight up. Fifth, put your fifth element glasses on when you watch it. That's not, mm. that's not very funny. You know, though, I take those out only on very, very special occasions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, uh, no, I will, I will, uh, put the old, uh, fifth element, uh, glasses on and I'll see this again. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I think I just, I, I am one of those, I, I don't like being the curmudgeon kind of, you know, railing for how things were, but I, I, I'm one of those people that just, I really sort of cherish this sweet story of the Hobbit and I feel like it just, uh, it's a high jump, low ceiling kind of an experience for me. It definitely, uh, my initial viewing uh, t was totally Prometheus. You know, I was I was really looking forward to it. It just didn't it didn't live up to what I what I wanted. It felt like an ego film, uh, and and it was working so hard to push the technological boundaries uh, mm. at the expense of uh, I thought what what could have been a, a much sweeter kind of more intimate uh, adventure. Uh, so mm. that's that's my take, Andy. I 
I really liked it. I am very much looking forward to seeing it in 2D where I can just not have to focus on those technological um, uh, um, milestones that, uh, that uh, Peter Jackson was trying to hit on, while he was in production. I, I want to just enjoy the film itself um, without thinking about any of that because it's hard to you know, think about it while being distracted constantly. Um, so I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it again. And honestly, I think this is a film that by the time we get to the third one, and I know it's you know two years from now before we get to the final uh, part of this trilogy, I, I feel like all of these extra things that he's throwing in are going to end up feeling right. And I feel like it's all going to tie together very nicely uh, because there's because of this big war, and I feel like he is setting it up for something that's going to make a lot more sense. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I feel like I want to reread The Hobbit, but I feel like maybe I should hold off until I've seen all three of the films, just to just to not sully anything. But uh, but overall, I enjoyed it. I do think it did have its problems, but you know what? I'm I'm definitely willing to overlook those, and I I'm I would happily go on the adventure again. Excellent. All right, now let me just tell you, they park the Enterprise on the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Oh, why did you tell us that? It's. Oh, I gotta man. see it now. Oh. I gotta see, so they only show this in the. They only show this nine-minute version in yep. forty-eight <laughs> frames per second. IMAX. 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 Forty-eight frames per second. No, you can see it twenty-four frames per second IMAX, but it has to be three D. IMAX is only three D. Is only three D, right? Oh. You don't have to see it in the twenty in the forty-eight frames. You really, really? That's true. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's good. You should see it because it's uh, it's pretty good. I really didn't want it to end, I, but you know, I'm I'm one of those guys. I'm a big fan of the Kirk. And I, I'm a particular. You know what? This is my this last thing, and then we're gonna leave, unless you want to talk more. I. This is one of the the first uh, Abrams Star Trek. I that movie ended, and I felt like I did not want it to end. I wanted to have more of it, and just all over me. And this movie, nice. uh, it, when it <laughs> when it opened, uh, when it started, uh, this first nine minutes, uh, I felt like it was just picking up right where it left off. That was exactly the feeling I wanted, and and uh, totally um, uh, totally fit. It was great. So, so there you have it, gents. Go see it on IMAX now. I am going to have to. All right. Yeah. Uh, I think I don't think we have any other news. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, unless I did, do we have any other news? Do I, I don't anything? think so. I got nothing. Uh, Steve, uh, Chad, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time uh, this uh, this fine afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh huh. You're welcome. Uh huh. Uh, It's been a real pleasure. Are we doing another movie? Should we be saying like, "Hey, we may do another movie"? Oh no, we're definitely doing another movie after the new year. uh, But uh, we're not telling. We're not telling. No, no, no. We're not telling. That's right. We're not telling. Uh, We're not telling because we have. We know. We totally know. We're not doing it. Uh, and uh, and so we look forward to that after the new year. Until then, have a, a fantastic holiday, people. And uh, you can catch us on Rashpixel.tv until further notice. And uh, 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 that's I think that's all. Go, okay. Everybody, go have a good holiday. Okay, we will. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And good night. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. 
Every purchase you make supports the film board and the Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Next Reel.